Um, all right. Um, but uh, Tracy's going to be induced on Tuesday, so Clayton and, and Tracy, Wednesday, I'm sorry, Wednesday, on Wednesday, so Clayton and Tracy will have a baby, and it will get real, <laughs> real fast, if it hasn't already, for sure. So do, do be in prayer for them. Um, so, all right, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Last week, Alan covered the broader scope of uh, the first section in John, uh, the uh, Jesus is the Good Shepherd, and we said after that we would step back and we'd kind of cover, cover some of the uh, finer points in these first 21 verses, but for last week, Alan covered the main topic, uh, the, the main theme, which was Jesus is the Good Shepherd. So now we're going to look at Jesus' statement, I am the door, this morning. Uh, so John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he put forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Let's pray. Father God, Point us to the door this morning. I know many may come this morning and hear this and go, well, I know what that means. Father, we would be humble ourselves before you this morning and ask ourselves the question, if I really entered through the door and am I finding pasture? Am I wary of thieves and robbers? Do I have my mind set on Christ and Him alone? Do your work in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So as, as we read this, I think many questions kind of come to mind. Um, what does Jesus mean when He says, I am the door? Who are the thieves and robbers? How do you enter through the door, which is Jesus himself? What does it mean to go in and out and find pasture? And then ultimately, why, why is this claim of Jesus so important? These, these kind of questions arise when we, when we read this text. And if we're not careful, we'll kind of get lost in the weeds. Um, so let's, let's get some context here initially. Um, and then we'll, we'll move forward with answering some of those questions. Primarily, what does Jesus mean by I am the door? I'll answer some of those other questions, but that fundamental question is what does Jesus mean when he says I am the door? Um, so again, last week we looked at the Good Shepherd. Now this week we're going to look at, uh, at, at Jesus' statement, I am the door. Because Jesus here mixes metaphors, doesn't he? He, he says I'm the door, but then he says I am the Good Shepherd. That's what he says uh, in verse 11. 
He says, I'm the door, I'm the good shepherd. So which is it? Is he the door? Is he the shepherd? As I was reading and studying for this early in the week, I'm sitting there early in the morning, I'm trying to work out in my mind some sort of imagery where this door becomes a shepherd. And my first thought was, you know, that this, this kind of Spartan-looking uh, uh, shepherd who's very large, standing in the doorway of a doorway, filling the whole thing up. And I'm like, that doesn't work at all. So, you know, if you're if you're gunning for imagery here, I'm sorry, I got nothing. You know, how does the door become the shepherd? You know, I, I got nothing. If you got something, tell me later. I'd love it. You know, I'll post it on the app. Maybe we'll see. Um, but I, I got nothing there. Um, but other than this, oftentimes when we speak of other people, one imagery will will work well. You know, um, to to talk about someone and say, oh well, this person is excellent at such and such. Oh really? Well, you know, how how good is he? Oh, well, he's like this. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But Jesus, because he is the divine son of God, both fully human and fully man, no one imagery captures him fully. And so it's fitting that multiple imagery, multiple allegories, multiple pictures would be used in order to capture as best we can the fullness of who Christ is. And so for Christ to be the, both the door and the shepherd is fitting. And so that's what we find here. But do keep in mind that the good shepherd is that's the primary picture. That's the primary thrust, thrust of where Jesus goes and what he's wanting to say. And that's what Alan covered last week. But this aspect of Jesus being the door uh, is supported. It, it brings a supporting message to help bring clarity to that idea of Jesus being the good shepherd. Because what Jesus is doing is he's showing a warning or he's giving a warning to show the significance of of what Christ is doing versus what the religious leaders are doing. Okay, so let's, before we get too far, let's, let's get some more context here. What, is, what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the door? Well, in order to, in order to grasp that, you've got to know something about sheep uh, from Eastern culture and also why Jesus is telling this allegory. And that's what it is. It's an extended metaphor. It's not a parable. It's an allegory. So about sheep... In Eastern culture, shepherds would gather their flocks in the evenings and they would take them, if they were in a town or a city, they would take them to a central location, which was a sheepfold. It was a protective area, usually with walls that had you know, bri uh, briars or brambles up at the top of it. And all the, the shepherds, the local shepherds, would bring those sheep into that fold at night and they would put them all inside the fold. And there was a heavy wooden door that was placed in front of that uh, at the entrance uh, to that sheepfold um, and oftentimes a porter um, was stationed outside it to keep guard while those shepherds may have gone home or they may have gone and found lodging you know wherever that I within that town um, and then the next morning they would come back the porter would acknowledge them open the door and they would call their sheep out to them so that that sheepfold was meant to give protection for those sheep during the night so that robbers and thieves wouldn't get you know wouldn't try and steal them away so wild animals wouldn't slaughter the sheep um, so it was given there for protection but those sheep mixed up you know different different sheep folds would you know would be put together different shepherds would bring them and you know and then it's not like well they all had tags on them and yeah, in western culture you see that you know if you watch western movies and stuff oh everybody's got a tag on them and so okay we just go find the tags no, but interestingly, in Eastern culture, and this is a practice that's still carried on today, the, sh the shepherds have a very intimate relationship with their sheep. There were studies done. Uh, I, I read about this. Can't give you specifics on it, but I read there were studies that were done where shepherds were blindfolded 
and and put out in a pasture with sheep. Some of them were their sheep, some of them were not their sheep. And they had, the, these shepherds had named their sheep. They had given names to the sheep, and their sheep, having personalities, as odd as that seems to, to me, I mean, you know, I'm from a small town in Georgia. We never had sheep. You know, we had horses, but we didn't have sheep. But anyways, they could recognize those sheep and call them by name without even seeing them. Now, that blows my mind because, like I said, I didn't grow up with sheep. I always just thought, well, a bleat is a bleat from a sheep, and that's it. No. Um, but but the, these shepherds in Eastern culture grow very, very close to their sheep. And so when shepherds would go to the sheepfold, they could call their flock out. And the, and the sheep would, would follow them. Now, as Alan mentioned last week, sometimes those sheep are stubborn. Sometimes you get some of the younger, you know, a little bit more rebellious, aggressive sheep, and they have to be dealt with differently. But generally, as the shepherd gets to know his sheep and the sheep get to know the shepherd, they form a very close bond, and so those sheep will follow the shepherd. So different shepherds could stand outside and call their sheep, and they would come to them, and then they would take them out to pasture and water and move on their way. And so that's the context that, that Jesus gives this allegory in. And he's speaking this into a culture that's going to be very, very familiar with this because shepherds were very common in that day. Um, and so this would be very understood, the, the cultural context of it. So that's, that's what he's aiming for. So why then does Jesus use this allegory? Why does he use this at this particular point in time? Well, keep in mind, as we've been moving through John, John chapter 8, Jesus gives some very, very strong statements about him, about his deity, about who he is and what he's come to do. And it offends the religious leaders. In John chapter 9, we have this narrative of the blind man. Jesus heals the blind man. And, and then the Pharisees and the, and the Jews that are, that are kind of under their control, that are, you know, that are in line with them, they're scrambling around trying to figure out what happened to this blind guy. Um, and they're very upset with Jesus for, for doing this. So you have the narrative of, uh, uh, of, the, of the blind man. Jesus heals him. Eventually, uh, the, the blind man comes to worship Jesus, and, and we'll get more into that in a minute. But you have that narrative, and then you have, at the start of chapter 10, this allegory of Jesus talking about being the door and being the shepherd. And then chapter 10 closes with the Jews coming to Jesus again, saying, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And Jesus responds to them. And they pick up stones to stone him because he, get, he again gives a very clear assertion of his deity. And so John chapter 10 at the end and John chapter 8 form two bookends basically of this one kind of section in John where Jesus gives very clear uh, uh, definitive statements of, about who he is and what he has come to do. And if you, if you need a refresher on that, I encourage you maybe this afternoon go back and just read through John chapter 8, 9, and 10. Take you about 15 minutes. Okay, just to look and look at what he does he say. And then John chapter 9, you have this narrative in the middle, uh, uh, and then you have this allegory. So that's the, that's the immediate context of what's going on. But as we come out of this narrative with the, the, with the blind man, and the Jews are so upset with Jesus for having healed on the Sabbath, um, and, 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 and this blind man is worshiping Jesus now, they're so upset with him. The big question that kind of is, is the elephant in the room. Is Jesus following God's plan or are the Pharisees following God's plan? Who, who here is tracking with God? The Pharisees are like, we are. We're sons of Moses. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. No, you're not. No, you're not, you're not tracking with him. 
And so that, that's, that's the question. So Jesus tells this allegory. Now, if I can kind of paraphrase this just to kind of give some clarity to what, the, what he's talking about in this allegory. Here, Jesus, he steps into history when he's born at a very particular point in time. He steps in when ethnic Israel is waiting on the Messiah. They're anticipating the Christ to come. And, and they're sort of, in a sense, you could say they're held in the sheepfold of the Old Covenant. Right? They're, they're held in that sheepfold. <coughs> Excuse me. And on the outside, it looks like, well, they're, they're, they're anticipating threats from Roman oppression. Because the Romans have, um, uh, have, have rule here. And so the Pharisees are sort of guarding this. They're, they're kind of guarding this. And everybody's waiting for this Messiah to come. So Jesus steps into, into, into history. He's ushered into the sheepfold by the Holy Spirit. Remember his baptism? And the Father, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist is in that as well, where he heralds Jesus in. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, the sin of the world. At the close of chapter 10, well, you, you kind of get to revisit this because the, the Jews are like, who is this man? Who, who, who is this man? He's a sinner. No, he's not. Because everything that John has said he would do, he is doing. And so he's ushered into this sheepfold, which is ethnic Israel. And he begins to call his sheep by name. Isn't that what happens with the disciples? Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The woman at the well, right? This, this blind man, this blind man whom he goes to and he, spits in the, mud, in, the, in the mud, and he rubs it on his eyes, and, and he tells the people beforehand, you know, it's not because of this man's sin, it's so that the works of God may be displayed, right? Not primarily so that the man's eyes would be open, because that's what happens, but the story doesn't end there. His eyes are open, and the Pharisees get real upset with him, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. They go to his parents, and they say, well, you know, is this guy, is this really the guy that was blind? And it says that they're afraid because the Jews had said, anybody who says that Jesus is the Christ, we're going to kick him out of the synagogue. That was a big deal. Because the synagogue and Jewish life and the culture, that was very, very crucial there. You'd be expelled, essentially, from the religious culture. And so then they eventually go to the blind man and tell him, and, and the blind man, at risk, I mean, you think his eyes are now open. He can now see so much of, uh, of cultural life is now open to him. <laughs> and yet, he sort of, in a way, taunts the religious leaders. You want to be his disciple too? Well, this is interesting. You know, you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. And they get upset with the blind man, and they kick him out of the synagogue. He's now been expelled from it. And Jesus then goes and finds him and says, I'll read it. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? You notice that's interesting. He didn't say that at the beginning when he opened his eyes. He waited. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's been kicked out of the synagogue. He's been, he's been pitched out. And he says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And the man believed and worshipped. You see that? Jesus called the man by name. He called him to himself. And so this is what Jesus does, and you see this throughout his ministry, as he begins calling people to himself. But the religious leaders and those whom they're, the, 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 they, they, that they're controlling, they're upset about this. 
And so the threat then is not necessarily from outside cultural influence. That comes later. But it's from within. And so Jesus points to these religious leaders and says, you're thieves and robbers. You're, you're thieves and robbers. You want to you deprive my sheep of the very thing that they hunger and they long for. <coughs> and you want to, <coughs> excuse me, and not only that, but you're robbers. You want to execute by violence in order to try and, in order to try and keep this under control. But Jesus isn't deterred by this, right? What does he say? He says, my sheep hear my voice. They, they know me. They know me. So what does this do? The, the allegory that Jesus is telling here, it's, it serves to illustrate, one, what's just happened, what's just happened with this blind man, but also to amplify what will happen with the rest of Christ's ministry, even beyond his resurrection, Right, because what does he what does he say about the these sheep? He says there are other sheep that I need to bring in. Right. Well, we know that that's those are Gentiles, and that's the that's the tra- tra- the trajectory that Acts goes, and the gospel then is brought in and opened up to the Gentiles. I have sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. They will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And so, so it's a larger allegory that Jesus uses to show, hey, this is what's happening right now. I'm come as the shepherd. I'm co- I've come as the door. But there are others who are acting as thieves and robbers. Those are the leaders of the, uh, uh, of those are the Jewish leaders and those who are under their, their influence. So it's a warning. It's a warning. Because what's the, what's the warning there for any of the sheep? I mean, if you were an actual sheep, don't go with the thieves and the robbers. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. Go through the door. Now, Jesus' statements obviously go beyond just that immediate context. It's not just recounting history, right? Because remember John's emphasis in writing this gospel, right? He says, these things have been, thank you, says these things have been written the things that jesus has has done have been written so that you may believe that he is the christ and in believing you may have eternal life that's the whole point of everything that john writes and so jesus says these things in the context of what's actually happening right here and right that right there and at that moment but knowing that the holy spirit's going to bring these things to mind to john years later and john's going to pin these pin these events, pin these allegories, and connect them together so that it will bring clarity to who Jesus was so that others might believe. That's the 50,000-foot view. Oftentimes we read these things and we, we kind of get trapped up in the moment and we, and we want to draw the moment of what's happening right there in the story into where we are. And we have to make sure that we're clear. Here's what's happening right now. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, but he knows he's going and he knows what's going to happen. Plus, John is writing looking back on these things. So it's important we keep those those things in distinction. So how do we how do we pull this forward? We still haven't answered the question, what does Jesus mean when he says I'm the door? So Jesus makes this statement. He says, Truly, truly, I am the door. So three things about Jesus says that I'm the door. One of his exclusive means of salvation. And then the other two, which are kind of subsets of that. One, he's the door to the sheep, and he's the door for the sheep. So I'll take these in turn. 
Jesus says, verse 9, I am the door. It's a claim of exclusive means of salvation. And we see this from a couple different areas. One, if you flip over to verse 28, same section. Again, we're, we're tracking in the same kind of theme. Jesus gives clarity to this because this is when the Jews ask him, tell us that you're the Christ plainly. And Jesus says to them, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I will give eternal life to them. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So when Jesus says that he's the door, he is the exclusive means through which a person can be rescued from the eternal punishment of sins. <coughs> now Jesus will say later, uh, <coughs> I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What about John 3.16? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You know, Jesus had told the Pharisees later, uh, or, or earlier in John chapter 8, he said, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he. Remember, he's already made these claims about being the Son of God, being the Messiah, being the one who would come to redeem a people from their sins. He said, You're going to die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. <clears throat> and so Christ is the door he's the only means of being rescued from sin that complete faith in Christ's substitutionary atonement that, that faith is entering through that door is the only way to be saved and when Christ says I am that the way that that's phrased in Greek, it's an emphatic statement. It's not like I'm one of many. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of many doors. You know, you can have good works, that's good. But if you don't have good works, you can have me instead. He says, no, no, no. There's only one door, and that's me. I am the only door. Now, that shouldn't surprise, that shouldn't surprise us if we know much about the Old Testament. You don't have to know much at all, right? How many doors were there to go into the ark? One. How many doors were there to go into the tabernacle? One. There's one curtain into the Holy of Holies. Only one. Right? That shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us. <coughs> so Jesus says, I'm the door. He, anyone who enters through me, he will be saved. So he's the door for salvation. But kind of under that is, He's the door to the sheep. Verse 7, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, or I am the door to the sheep. Now, this is a, this is a charge for us as pastors and anybody who seeks to lead the sheep. Jesus isn't saying all who come after me or all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Basically, he's not saying everybody in the Old Testament is a thief and a robber. You know, I'm the new guy on board. He's not saying that at all. But he's giving a charge here to any under-shepherds that a true under-shepherd will keep Christ as the central focus to his message and life and seek to give of himself for the holy good of others if he's to reach the true sheep. If he loses this, I have to keep this in mind, if he loses this, he loses the sheep, for they'll go where Christ is. Isn't that encouragement? No, it's not the, it's not the cleverness of the message or, or the showmanship or any of that. 
the sheep hear Christ's voice, and they go where that is. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that they say, you know, I was listening to this or this preacher, or I was at this or this church, and something struck me odd about what was said. And I started to look in my Bible, and, and the Lord showed me, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And they went to find the gospel. They went to go find where Christ was preached. Christ is the door to the sheep. He's also the door for the sheep. Verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. That Christ leads us where we might thrive, namely in a relationship with the living God with whom we image. Now, Alan mentioned Psalm 23 last week. I couldn't help but think of that this week. No, the Lord leads me beside still waters. He's my shepherd. Right. Psalm 121, 8 says, The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Now, I want to be very clear on this. Because, I mean, (coughs) faith in Christ is where we find true purpose. It's where we find true hope. It's where we find true security, even in the midst of extreme loss and suffering. Right, that faith in Christ and entering through the door isn't a warm, fuzzy feeling about myself, but the place where God is your only hope and your only anchor. You know, early Christians, when they when they had faith in Christ, they didn't get a, a nice job and a nice house, two point five kids, and a good retirement fund. They got thrown in prison. They were thrown to lions separated from loved ones, all because Jesus was life. Peter says, when, when he's asked, are you not going to go too? Jesus asked him this. Because, because following Christ became very real. And he says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he's speaking to sheep. If any, if any sheep want to follow me, must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Whoever wishes to lose his life, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. One pastor said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot afford to lose. Now, that kind of begs the question then, what, what does it mean when Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, Alan's going to deal with that next week. What does abundant life mean when you look out amidst your culture and you see things that are happening, when terrible things are happening around you? When the, when the drumbeat of culture is a health, wealth, prosperity gospel and you look around and you're finding news articles of children being abducted from their front yards when when you hear of disasters that are happening and you're asking real questions is God good can God be good and there be abundant life in the midst of such tragedy I'll leave that as a hanger for next week because that's what Alan's going to deal with is what does it mean to 
for that Christ brings us abundant life. But as a kind of a precursor to that, let me leave you with this. Because our, our culture, I think, parallels a lot of what's going on here. Because in Jesus' day, there was an elig- a religious establishment, you know, that's there. And, and we live in the South. We have a religious pedigree. America as a culture has a religious pedigree. We have a tradition there. But we live in a very pluralistic culture, very much the same way as early, as early Christians. And as God was doing a sifting work then, he's doing a sifting work now. You don't have to watch much of the news to find there's a lot of high-profile Christians, high-profile Christians that are pointing away to a Jesus. But the question is, are they pointing away to, a, to the Jesus? You're seeing people's positions change rapidly on, on things related to the gospel and the things that are connected to it. And Jesus used very strong language to describe those who would lead his sheep astray. He calls them thieves, robbers, vipers, wolves. You know, it, it's not, it's not, it's not, what do you call it? Words escapes me, but it's not polite to use strong phrases for people who believe differently about who Jesus is, right? To, to, to draw a line in the sand and say, that's not Jesus. The Jesus you're talking about is not the real Jesus. Because if, 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 every, if every Jesus is Jesus, then that's not a door. I mean, I've, I've, tear, I've torn out and installed a lot of doors working and remodeling. A door is there so that you can walk in and walk out. But if you're trying to get into a house or into a room, that's the way you go. And Jesus says, the way to salvation is through me. There is no other way. It's not popular in our culture to be a Christian. It's not popular to make that claim. It's not socially or financially advantageous to be a Christian. And we're finding that we're beginning to join the ranks of Christians in the past who suffered because Jesus was their only hope. Jesus says in Matthew 7, for the gate is small. I, I, I think that's a parallel. Jesus, the door. The, 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 he says, I'm the door. He says, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Whenever I read that, I get a shiver. Because he uses the word few. And we live in a culture where, at least in the past, Christianity has been to somewhat of degree culturally normative. You talk to people and said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I grew up in church. I attended church. I, you know, I, in the back of my Bible, I got written when I was baptized. Jesus says the door is small and the way is narrow that leads to eternal life. And he calls the sheep out. Do you notice that? When he, he says, I'm the door, but he doesn't leave it there. He says he comes and he calls the sheep out. He calls the sheep out of the comforts of religiosity. He calls it because he says, I have other sheep that I have to go get. Did you catch that? That, that when, when the early Christians put their faith in Christ, 
they were called out of whatever those comfort zones that they were in to go and take that message to other sheep. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, there's a whole message right there in evangelism. Okay, and I won't try and you know, tap into that. But let me say this, that as Christ is the door, he's not a door to walk in and to be comfortable, to just sit and be comfortable as a Christian. He's a door to come out and to follow him. Let me give you th- three things as we close. In Exodus 33, there's the, the picture of the I- Israelite camp. They're all camped. Everybody's, you know, they've got their different camps. Everybody's comfortable. And Jesus pitches the tent of meeting, which is the place where the people would meet with God. He doesn't pitch it in the camp where it's safe, it's comfortable. He pitches it outside the camp. And he stands outside the camp and says, if anyone wants to meet with God, come out here. And those that wanted to meet with God went out to the tent of meeting, outside the camp. Jesus here in John 10 says, I call my sheep out. I call my sheep out. Calls them out of the comforts of their religion into a relationship with him. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, one of my favorite passages, he says, so let us go out to him outside the camp. He's saying Christ Christ wasn't crucified in the city He was crucified outside the walls. And so the author of Hebrews challenging these, this church who's who's thinking, who's who's really thinking about chucking the gospel for the law says, let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach for here we have no lasting city but we're seeking the city which is to come. door to salvation in Christ is not a door that leads to a comfortable room. It leads to a, call, to a call to give up of ourselves for the holy good of others so that others might see Christ in us, see it in our lives and hear it from our lips that they might be saved. As Alan read from, John, from, uh, from Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news door that is Christ who is the shepherd calls us to come through him to give up of ourselves for the holy good of others that God might be glorified in our lives as he brings other sheep into the fold and he completes it so that they will all be one sheep with one shepherd so let me ask you this as we close you think back on your last week what were you most about what were you most about last week I'll be honest for for me, I had a lot going on with work, taxes, you know, tax season. It's a lot of things that are necessary. But when I really am honest, I'm like, I was very much not about the gospel. That's convicting to me. That's very convicting to me. I was not that concerned about telling other people about the door. What will you be most about this week? What will you be most about this week? Let's pray. Father God, you know, I've struggled over this text. I've wrestled over it myself. And Father, I'm convicted over 
how easily I'm distracted. How easily the temporal things of this world can become primary. And the gospel can take a back seat and just be an accessory to my life. Father, I ask for myself and those who feel that same tug. Lord, you would humble us. Give us eyes to see. Eyes to see Christ seated and lifted up at your right hand, who has rule and authority over everything, who is the good shepherd, even when we experience horrible loss, even when following Jesus cost us everything, that he would be our anchor and our stay. And that we would look out upon the lives of others and not just be satisfied with, well, they have a pretty good life or they're pretty moral or even be surprised that, wow, they're more generous than I am and I am a Christian. That we would realize that no amount of moral goodness can get a person into heaven. Jesus is the door. He's the only way in. If we, if we don't tell, if they don't hear, how will, how will they come in? Father, stir our hearts to take the gospel to those around us. Give us opportunities, as you gave Natalie this week, give us opportunities to speak the gospel, to cast the seed, to be your voice where you call your sheep. Father, may we be like the farmer in the parable who can rest well because he casts the seed and he doesn't know how, how it grows. He just knows that it does. May we rest in the confidence, Father, that your sheep will hear your voice. Father, though we may have weakness in, in our own knowledge and understanding. We may lack confidence and courage. Father, would you stir our hearts so that in those moments when you give us opportunity, we can't move until we speak and your words come forth. And may we walk away from that knowing, Father, your gospel has gone forth. Whether that person turns in that moment and follows you and hears your voice for the first time or whether it is months and years down the road before that seed pokes its head through the hard soil. May we rest in confidence knowing that, Father, your word is going forth. It does not return void. That you're calling people to yourself. It's in Christ's precious name that we pray these things. And, Father, we do ask your blessing over the food that we're about to eat. Food that will nourish our bodies sustain our physical lives. May it remind us of your word, Father, where we can go and find pasture. We can drink deeply from the words of eternal life, the streams that never stop flowing. We can graze on delectable mountains of your mercy and grace. It's in Christ's precious name that I pray. Amen.